<laughs> well, uh, there's a lot of seriousness going on, so I hope that uh, maybe that brought a little laughter into your life. Hopefully you're finding ways to laugh and, and kind of lighten the mood a little bit. But just uh, I wanted to share that with you. That may be the new norm for us. Uh, we already have hand sanitizer here. Uh, we may need to use it more and more and more. So as you get back to church, don't be offended if people <laughs> use that before and after they shake your hand. Um, but hey, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. And I just want to, again, I want to brag on our team, our staff, uh, the folks that are here. And, and we take this very seriously. So just the people that are needed to, to put on the service and live stream are here uh, because we want to keep you safe. But I'm grateful to them because they've been working very hard and making all these adjustments um, to be able to continue to show our worship services. And I hope that you got up this morning, uh, got dressed, had breakfast, and sitting around together with family or friends in small groups uh, to worship with us and, and engage this morning. I hope you sang. I uh, hope you have your Bible ready to, to study this morning. And I got to tell you, uh, as a preacher, I, I just hate this. <laughs> I mean, I, I felt like we were finally getting to a point where you guys were talking back and amening and say that kind of stuff, uh, and now you're not even right here. But like I was reminded, you don't have to be the church just here. We're the church wherever we go. So wherever you're meeting today, you are the church. And this is a great opportunity for us uh, to be the church that God's called us to be and, and step into this storm uh, with a sense of calm and peace uh, and share the gospel and share resources and, and care for one another and uh, care for those around us. So I hope that you're taking advantage of that. I just love to hear all the creative ways people are doing ministry. Uh, people are connecting with one another. It's, it's really brought out a lot of creativity in people. And so that's really cool. And I hope you'll keep thinking through those things. Uh, we, we pray that this thing will end quickly, uh, but it, it may last longer than we hope. So I know that you're prepared for that. We're prepared for that, to be able to continue to uh, worship and do the mission of the church, and that's to make disciples and share the gospel with those in the world. It's a time that people are considering <laughs> life, immortality, what's next, God, is there a God, is there a heaven, is there life after this? Uh, and we have the answers to all those questions, and I hope you're diligent to share with those. But I, I do want to say, kind of highlight again what Sam said. If there is a need, let us know. Uh, we're here at the church during the week, and we can help minister, help you minister as well. So just let us know. Please uh, don't feel like you have to do this all by yourself. Let us know how we can help. And last week, if you are with us, we talked about uh, Philippians 4. Uh, verse 6, and that's one of the favorite passages on anxiety, uh, where Paul tells us not to be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And I saw this morning uh, on the news, Max Lucado, uh, if you know Max Lucado, pastor in San Antonio, you may have heard of him or read a book or two. But he's great with illustrations, great with acrostics, and he shared an acrostic this morning I wish I had thought of or wish I'd heard about before last Sunday, but I want to share it with you. Now, and you probably want to write this one down because this is something you can carry with you um, in the days ahead. It's out of Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. So just a little acrostic to help remember the process that Paul gives for us to how to be calm. And that's the acrostic, calm, C-A-L-M. C stands for celebrate God's goodness. A is ask God for help. L stands for leave your concerns with him. And M is meditate on good things. Celebrate God's goodness. Ask God for help. Leave your concerns with him. 
meditate on good things. And that just takes you through that process of Paul's encouragement on how to stay calm in a very chaotic time. We've been going through this sermon series called Broken Before Breakthrough. And it's interesting to see in light of what's going on that what we've been talking about for the past several weeks, looking through the book of 1 John and this idea of being broken. And, and certainly there is a, a breaking going on of our normal routines, normal life, maybe even a breaking of some of the things that we used to seek to find security and peace that now aren't there and not providing peace for us. And so that is leading to a breakthrough. I'm trusting and believing and excited to see what God is going to do. I know he's going to redeem this time and he's going to use this time uh, to, to grow the church, advance the kingdom. And perhaps that is a breakthrough for us as a church to get back to why we are here, to be the church that God's called us to be, to go beyond our walls to reach those who are far from God. I'm excited to see how God's going to use us. This is a time for testing for his church to see how we're going to respond to a, a world in crisis and how we're going to continue to get the message out. How are we going to be loving and, and share our resources and take care of one another? But in all honesty, we're dealing with some of those same emotions, maybe some of that fear and anxiety, some of our natural human responses to all this. And so it's always good to go to the Word of God to find security. It's always good to go to the people of God to find comfort and peace. And so that's what I encourage you to do. If you have your Bible this morning or phone or iPad or whatever you have, I invite you to open to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to close out this letter. Uh, where John has been talking to us uh, about dealing with our sin, dealing, being broken over our sin and our condition, being broken over others, uh, that leads to a breakthrough of not just being broken over those things, but a response out of that. And so he closes his letter, 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to begin with verse 13, just read the 13 through 15, where John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we asked of him. So he draws his readers to this issue of eternal life, reminding them that regardless of what we go through on this earth, we have the promise and the confidence of eternal life. It is the promise to all who believe and follow Jesus Christ. Yesterday, we had a, a funeral here. Nina Moore, a longtime church member here, passed away this past week. And we had a funeral service for her with just family, again, keeping the numbers small. And so it was, it was weird. It was my first online-only funeral. But there was still that sense of peace and joy, not obviously that the family had wanted. The room probably would have been full if people were allowed to come. But still there was that sense of peace because we spoke in confidence knowing that Nana is experiencing eternal life in heaven now. And again, the minute we give our lives to Jesus Christ, that eternal life begins. The Bible reminds us Jesus didn't call bad people to be good. He called dead people to be alive. When we come to Christ, we receive life. At that moment, our eternal life begins. Now, it's obviously, we're still on this planet for a while, but the eternal life begins, and now Nina is just living in a different form, in a glorified form, her eternal life, which is the promise of all believers. And so against that backdrop, John kind of encourages his readers. Again, this is the end of the letter, so he wants to make sure that they pay attention to these aspects that he's talking about. 
And this eternal life that John writes about gives us confidence in prayer. Prayer is the means that God uses to give his people what he wants. So when you and I pray to God, the intent is that we pray in the spirit so we are actually praying the will of God, that our walk with God is so close, our relationship with him is so intimate that we're able to pray the will of God, not our will. Well, that obviously takes knowing God on an intimate level, knowing his word, and knowing what God desires. But the Holy Spirit of God speaks through us. He, he prays through us, the words of the Father, that carry on God's mission, God's sovereign plan. So the power that we talk about in prayer, and there's a lot of prayer going on, even for non-believers in Christ. They're praying, hoping that something or someone's going to answer the prayers. Well, there's no power in that prayer because it's not in the prayer itself where the power comes. It's the one who to whom we are praying. So John reminds us that the power in prayer comes not from trying to bring God's will down to us, that we fashion it according to our plan, but actually lifting our will up to God. Jesus said that in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? Father, not my will, but yours. He asked, is there any other way to save the world other than my death? He said, but your will above mine. Well, that was a great example for us, that we pray. And John says, you can come and ask God anything. You can bring, God allows us to boldly come before his throne and make our requests known to him. So we can ask him anything we want, and we trust that he will accomplish his will. I just compare it to my relationship with my kids. As a father, I wanted my children to be able to come and ask me anything without fear of condemnation or judgment or just saying no, but to come and ask me anything knowing full well that they can trust my response. If they ask for something that's going to be harmful or negative, then I wouldn't give it to them. But if I knew it was positive, then I'd be happy to give them whatever they requested. If if we as parents can understand that, how much more is God doing this same kind of thing? Wanting us to come and ask and make requests of him and trusting that he is going to give us the right answer. I think a lot of times we don't receive anything because we don't ask. We're afraid to ask God. It all kind of boils down to our view of God. Do we see him as that loving, good father that will give us good things and keep us from harmful things? Or do we see him as a tyrant, as a, as a mean father that we're just annoying him? Well, based on that perspective is based on how we're going to respond and ask God in prayer. So we can go to God at any time, anywhere, and talk to him about anything. Even your fear and anxiety of going through this virus scare. I mean, we read the passages, we know the response, but still we're human. And we deal with some of these emotions like the rest of the world. Are we going to get enough toilet paper? You know, they're going to make enough. Are we going to be able to find food? Are we going to be able to get out? What's happening? What's that? Those are normal, natural concerns. And we can take them all to God without fear of saying, oh, you need to grow up. He's not going to say that. He's going to receive us. He's going to listen. He's going to understand. He's going to respond. You know, I think some of us, just to be honest, we think Alexa is a better listener than God. We can speak to Alexa for our needs, but we're unwilling or afraid to go to God. Well, Alexa's good, that's cool, but God's a much better listener. And he can actually do something about it, not just give us answers. One translation says that he listens favorably to us. That's a beautiful term. So how do we pray according to God's will? That's a great question. So here's some questions to consider when you are praying 
to ask, am I praying according to God's will? The first one is, does my prayer match what God has revealed in Christ and in his word? Am I praying anything contrary to scripture? Am I praying anything different than what I know about Jesus? Then you're not asking according to God's will. The second question is, will my request draw me closer to God? Is my request and the way that I've phrased my request, is that causing me to be more dependent upon God, trusting in him? Or in some way, am I trying to kind of really still put it back on my shoulders? Third question is, does my request reflect the best for everyone? It's easy to become selfish in our prayers, right? Maybe before the game when your team huddles up and said, you say, God, help us win this game. Well, maybe that's a selfish prayer. Maybe the better prayer is make sure no one gets hurt or, you know, whatever. But we can get very selfish in our prayers. So is my prayer request the best for everyone? And then the fourth question, am I truly seeking the kingdom of God in my request? Am I really praying according to God's will? But or, or in some way, I hope really he's going to do what I want rather than what he says is best. Because the truth is we cannot manipulate God. There is no magical prayer that we can pray to get God to do what we think he ought to do. We are praying in the, the intent, as John says, to pray according to God's will. Now, this confidence in prayer also comes as we pray for one another. There are a lot of prayers going out for each other, for protection, for safety, especially those who are at risk right now with this virus, those who may be sick, for our medical professions, first responders. We're sending out a lot of prayers to protect people. And we have confidence that our God hears those and that he responds and that he cares even more than we care. But he also talks about praying for one another in regard to sin. Look at verse 16 through 18. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So here John basically says we are accountable for one another. We need to not only pray for one another during this time to be safe and protected, but also to hold each other accountable. Again, in a time of testing, a time of crisis, we have two choices. We either follow God's will or we follow our own will. There may be people that you know, this may even connect to you, that you're responding in this way not according to God's will and not even trusting in God, but still trusting in your own ways, which may actually lead to sin, may actually lead to a habit of sin, maybe doing things that seem to provide security for you, but you know that they are in rebellion against God. We need people to step into our lives and hold us accountable to make sure that we're not living a life of sin. Because he's writing here to brothers, he's writing to Christians that we should hold one another accountable. All wrongdoing is sin. He said that there is a sin that does not lead to death, and there is sin that does lead to death. That's kind of a confusing statement and not quite clear all that he means by that. Could it be the, the unpardonable sin, which is rejection of Jesus? Most likely he's talking about any kind of sin that would cause God to cut our lives short because we continue to sin over and over and over again, not fully repenting of that sin to God. So as in discipline, he may end our lives short. But he says to pray for one another and God will give 
our brother's and sister's life. If they're living a life that is pursuing death or pursuing a sin, that we are to pray for them and God will restore them. If they listen and respond, God will restore them, but that is his desire. Because everyone born of God does not keep on sinning. Because the Spirit of God protects us and the evil one can't touch us. There's a confident statement. We don't have to worry about Satan. We don't have to worry about his influence. He has no influence over us in Christ. But sometimes we just need a brother or sister to remind us of this. Sometimes we need a brother or sister to come alongside and get us back on the right track. Speak words of truth and speak words of wisdom. So eternal life gives us confidence against sin. We don't have to sin. But our actions reveal our beliefs. We can say the right thing all day long, but our actions will prove what we really believe. In this time of crisis, do you really believe that God is trustworthy? Do you really believe that God is aware? Well, your actions will live that out. I mean, it's the right thing to say, but it's the right thing to say because it's truth. And your actions will show that. And I think a time of crisis, what, what we're seeing, this is a time to really see who your true friends are. <laughs> those people who call and check on you, those people who make sure, those people who run errands for you, or they're there to help. Those friends that you would want around you, maybe you can't have your family, your family doesn't live nearby, but uh, you can only have 10 people in your house or whatever, whatever the rule is, and who are the 10 that you would call? These show your real friends. We, we show that we are real friends in times of crisis, when we care for one another. But what is your response to people who are caught in sin? Do we feel a need to talk about them? Or do we pray for them? John is saying to pray for them. We're not to be gossips. We're, and sometimes we can couch that in a prayer request. Like, uh, I want to have a prayer request here because Johnny over there is living this life of sin. And it's actually just a way to show how much we know about Johnny. The right response is to pray. I read an article this week by Sarah Walton. It's called Prayer for the Prodigal Son. It's in DesiringGod.org. And she makes these three statements. When we're praying for someone who has strayed, a brother or sister who has strayed from the faith and living a life of sin, to pray for a heart of brokenness no matter the earthly cost, to pray against the enemy's desire to have them, and to pray specific scripture over them. I thought about it as I heard the story of the, the guy, you may have heard this out of Tennessee, that just when news was starting to break about this virus, he went around from different towns and went into convenience stores or pharmacies or wherever he could, and he bought up hand sanitizer. He bought up 17,700 bottles of hand sanitizer, disinfectant wipes, stored them in his garage, and he was selling them on eBay and selling them on Amazon Prime for anywhere from $8 to, I think, $98. So he was price couching because he knew that people would need. He thought he was doing a service. Actually, he was trying to get rich off people's suffering. So eBay found out about it. Amazon Prime found out about it, and they shut him down. The authorities began to question him because it was price gouging. And so because of that, he, he donated all of those remaining hand sanitizers to a local church so that they could use to distribute to those who needed it. I just thought about that, man, this guy must have not had any friend in his life to say, you know, that's a really bad idea. You're taking advantage of people's suffering, and you're going to get caught, and you're going to get busted, and you're going to pay a high price for that. Because, again, there, there are times we just don't think straight. 
we don't think right. We need a brother or sister in Christ to come along and say, hey, this, what you're doing, how you're responding, the way that you're thinking, it's not right. It's harmful. Let me, let me bring you back to the truth, the truth that lives within us. We know that prayer works. First John 5, 5, we talked about that last week, a couple of weeks ago about being overcomers. We are overcomers in Christ, and we can live that way. Look at verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we who are in him, who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And John ends this letter in a very weird way. There's no goodbye, no sincerely John. He just ends it with don't serve idols, don't follow idols, and just drops the mic and walks away. So these are the last things he wants people to pay attention to. We know that we're from God, but the whole world lives under the power of the enemy, Satan. Satan is in control of this world. Now, obviously, God has allowed this virus to spread and make a global impact, but God always redeems what he allows. This is not a sign that God has lost control, but in faith, we anticipate what God is going to do through this, and there's some wonderful things happening in his church and across the world as people are faced with this issue of their own mortality. He says eternal life gives us confidence against anything that would lead us away from God, lead us to put trust in idols other than trust in God. First of all, because we have a privileged position with God in Christ. We are of God. We belong to God. God is in us. This is a privileged position because of Jesus. And he says we know that everyone who is born of God does not live on sinning. Again, not that we don't sin, not that we don't mess up, not that we handle crisis perfectly. We do sin, but again, as 1 John 1, 9 tells us, we can confess those sins and he forgives us of those sins, right? So we live in this confidence that we belong to him and nothing's going to take us away. Even in this world controlled by Satan and all the chaos and confusion that's out there, we still have hope because we still belong to God and nothing will change this. No matter how bad things get, we still belong to the Father. Because we can't find hope in a world that is disintegrating under the control of Satan. Our hope is not in the world. Our hope is not in what happens to the world. Our hope is not even how this virus is handled. Our hope is in God and we can trust in him. Because Jesus penetrated the darkness with light and he's overcome the darkness. There are good things that are happening. For one, I think it's just helped us to slow down a little bit. Our world is so fast-paced, and we're pursuing so many things all at the same time. It can be exhausting, and we, we forget our priorities. It's easy to forget the importance of the relationships that we have because we're always trying to get more stuff. This has helped us to slow down and maybe reprioritize our lives. Is God your highest priority? You know, the fact that you're meeting together and worshiping together in, in your homes or wherever you may be, that, I think that's a great sign. And I trust that when this is over that people will be flocking back to church, that our conversation will turn from speaking to empty rooms to where do we put all these people? Because we see the importance of being together. But it all comes down to, to what are our idols? What do we really serve? What do we trust in? 
I love this quote. Our certainty is not from abstract reason or inspired enlightenment, but from God, the real God, the only true God. And this is what John points us to. You belong to the one true God. There are a lot of false gods that people worship, a lot of false idols out there that people worship, and they're turning to them left and right right now, trying to find some sense in all this. But we know the one true God. Tim Keller, in an article talking about idols, he he defines an idol detector. How can we detect that there might be an idol in my life, something I've put in, in place of God, something that I trust in, find security in, seek answers from other than God? And this is what he said. An idol can lead you to break any promise, rationalize any discretion, or betray any other allegiance in order to hold on to it. It may lead you to violate all good and proper boundaries. To practice idolatry is to be a slave. And then he lists a series of questions we should ask ourselves. First of all, what do you organize your life around? What do you organize your life around? Is it work? Is it select sports? Is it sports? Is it television? Is it entertainment? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is there anything that you organize your life around other than God? Then that is in danger of becoming an idol in your life. What are you willing to sacrifice an inordinate amount to attain? Again, you can tell where a person's heart is by where their money goes. You can tell a person's priority by where they spend their money. This has always been true. And the third question is, what do you fear losing? The fourth question, where do you go for comfort? These may be good things, but they may become idols in your life if they're not careful. Now, the nature of an idol is we serve the idol, but it doesn't serve us. The idol in our life asks us to make great sacrifices against things we know that are right that we just don't do. It asks us to make great sacrifices, but the idol never sacrifices for us. Idols are false. They're not real. They offer promises, false promises, and make incredible demands on us. Sometimes to the neglect of God, neglect of gathering together in worship. You know, my prayer is that a lot of people who have just kind of written church off will be reengaged. People who don't feel like they need to be together with a body of believers or church is just kind of a thing that they do. I hope that that changes. And we see people, there's a hunger and need to be together. As the Bible says, we need to be together. We need each other. We need to be in close contact with one another. Some of us are starting to go crazy, you know, just being separated from people. It's difficult because we're wired to need one another. So just a couple of thoughts on how to remove idols in our life. Once you've identified an idol in your life, here's how to remove it. First of all, repent. Name your idol. My idol is money. I spend an enormous amount of time trying to find, trying to make more money, right? That maybe is that your idol. Maybe it's a person. Name it. Admit and acknowledge your connection to it. Confess your loyalty to them and admit that they're powerless to save you or provide the needs that you have and then renounce them as false gods. So repent of an idol in your life, but then replace it. If you just remove it without replacing it, something's going to come back that may be even more harmful. So replace it. In other words, stop looking to your idols for security, for peace, for hope, and look to Christ, the only one who can provide it. 
John is encouraged not to necessarily love our idols less, but to love God more. The more we love God, the less we will depend on those idols. They begin to take the right place in our life. I love how Augustine put it, order our loves. (laughs) We talk about ordering our lives. He says, order your loves. Make sure that God is your first love. We have to make Christ our greatest treasure and the object of our greatest trust. Because right now in a time of crisis, it really reveals to us what we trust in. Do you trust in your bank account, your savings account? Do you really trust in God? Not to say we're not supposed to be good, good stewards. We need to be wise. We need to take this thing seriously. But our trust needs to be in God. This is where we find significance and security for whatever we face. In Christ, we are fully known and fully loved. He knows you completely, and he loves you completely. He knows everything about us, and he loves us unconditionally. Because, as the Bible says, in Christ, we are not condemned. We are actually set free, free from our past, free from our mistakes, free from our fears, free from our wounds. We are free in Christ, and we can trust him. He is trustworthy. So here's the challenge kind of sum up this last part of the letter. According to John, ask according to God's will. And maybe that's our prayer. God, according to your will, if this is your will, and we ask our prayers. The second is be accountable to someone. We need each other. In a time of crisis, yes, but all the time we need each other. As the church, we need each other. And then the third part of this challenge is crush any idols in your life by repenting and replacing. So to kind of borrow Max Licato's strategy, here's the ABCs of the challenge. Ask God. Ask according to God's will. Be accountable to someone. Crush any idols in your life by repenting and replacing. So I hope this has been an encouragement to you today. And I hope that you do feel a calmness that's overcoming your life right now. And I hope, again, you don't feel, even though we're socially separated to some degree, I hope that you're not socially isolated, that you're not out there all by yourself feeling like you have to do this all alone and figure this all all out alone. We are here to help any way that we can. And as the church, we are reaching out to one another and caring for one another. But if there's a need that you have, please let us know, and we'll do our best to help meet that need. So I want to pray for us, uh, and then our priest teams are going to come back out, and they're going to close us out from our service. Father, we thank you that in times like this, we can trust in you. We can't always trust in answers because we don't get answers, or maybe not the answers we want, but we can always trust in you. And you never told us we would get the answers to all of our questions, but you did promise us that you will always be with us. There is no area of the universe where you're not in control. Father, during these chaotic times, I pray that you would strengthen your church, that we would be a voice of calm, a voice of love, that our behavior would match our belief, that we would take care of one another, that this would be an opportunity for your church to rise up. Perhaps we become complacent and, and comfortable, but now we would see the need for us to make sacrifices, to be giving, to be loving. 
and that the world would know that you are loved because they see your church and how we respond to a pandemic. May our words be uplifting. May our words and our actions be encouraging to others. May we be sensitive to those who are completely afraid right now that we can show them there is hope and his name is Jesus Christ. God, use your church during these times to bring life. In Jesus' name, amen.